Hi, and welcome to 25 and not famous, question mark. It was so exciting talking to this friend who I worked really closely on a show that I had written. Um, they performed on it a few years ago about their experience of the industry up until that point, which I only knew little bits about and everything that they've been doing since and how they have felt and grown in an industry that can be really stressful and it made me reflect a lot as someone who has just left a theatre back of house admin venue role and you know isn't sure exactly what they want to do next but desperately wants to stay in the industry in one way or another. I've known for a really long time that I wanted to creatively make theatre and I've realised maybe a little bit more recently that I'd love to run an arts venue, kind of take a theatre and turn it into a wider arts venue, introducing galleries and um, film and live music and clubbing into the space. And so it's just always so interesting to me to talk to people about their thoughts and opinions on, on what works and what doesn't. And I hope it'll be interesting for you guys too. I wanted to talk a little bit about what it was like to resign from my most recent job with no job lined up and also what it was like to do something that I've never done before which is resign from a job that I actually liked and enjoyed going to and liked the organisation and felt that the work was important. It was a really weird experience. I had also a very long notice period. It was two and a half months and so I felt like I was just leaving forever. Everyone kind of knew for at least two months that I was going and I was kind of increasingly aware that I wasn't going to be working on stuff that was being talked about. And also just realising how much you're going to miss working for a nice team, which unfortunately, I think potentially in life, but also in the arts can be very rare. And it made me realise how much the people really make an organisation and an experience. I can only compare it to like breaking up with someone who you really, really like and think are a really nice person and you know that you're going to miss them, but it's not right and it's not the right time. And if you just keep going out with them to be nice, it's just going to get increasingly stressful for you. Um, and it's not great on them because they deserve someone who's really up for the role, who's really excited about it. This is both the partner and the job. So yeah, I had essentially a work breakup, which was very sad. I was coming to the end of my tenancy. I had a two-year lease in London and I knew that it was so expensive. I don't think I had a single day living in London in the last four years where I didn't worry about money. So I just don't know how other people do it to be honest, who have even less money and, and privilege and stability and safety net than I do. But I knew that paying rent was a monthly stress or concern and that wasn't going to go away and that I would be, if I was staying and staying on at the job, I would be signing up to a full another year because I would be getting a 12-month tenancy minimum somewhere else. Side note, can you imagine if that happened every year in your relationships, like <laughs> sign up for another 12 months or leave? Yeah, that kind of ultimatum was crazy. And it just made me realise that it was the right time to go, even though I'm not exactly sure what the next thing is. You know, I haven't been headhunted. I don't have, I haven't applied for another job. I'm not leaving to go somewhere else, which definitely sweetened the breakup. But it does also mean that you have nothing else that you're necessarily like, well, I'm going off to do this other amazing job and I'm going to be so stable in this new place. But the thing that I really love about speaking to other people in the industry, speaking to people in different departments at the theatre, actors, other writers, directors, is that you realise just how much is out there and that you just have to keep fucking going for it um so I had this conversation just after leaving and I saw my friend a couple of days before I left and it definitely 
helped with the final plunge to remember how much is waiting out there. So yeah, I hope that you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed chatting to them. And let's get into it. Thank you so much for coming on. Like I know that schedules are very busy. My schedule's very busy because I'm leaving the country. Your schedule's very busy because you're becoming famous. So, you know, we've all got stuff going on in well, our lives. You're doing the same, really. But... <laughs> this is actually about how I'm not becoming famous. But, you know, let's see. <laughs> yeah, no, I really, really appreciate it. So we basically met, just to give, like, some context, because you played me in a I show did. that I wrote about my own vagina and the two characters were me which was played by you and my vagina which was played by a very talented actor who we won't mention their name in case they come on the show at a later time which is actually doing no favors for my image because I feel like this podcast makes me sound like one of the worst narcissists that's ever walked the earth and now the news is that I also prior to this narcissistic <laughs> podcast wrote a show about my own vagina and the two characters were both me but <laughs> that was a, um, such... <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It was for the people. It was for the people. Isn't art always about like the greater good, right? So, <laughs> well, exactly. Well, you got a lot of the um, a lot of the praise because I remember so many people would come up to you at the end of the show. We did it for a month in Edinburgh, like three years ago, the last year of Edinburgh Fringe before the pandemic, and I also was just like managing stuff, so I was managing all the set and stuff. And people would come up to you after the show assuming that you were the writer because you played me. And they'd be like, oh my God, did you write it? Da, da, da. And you'd be like, no, the writer's over there, like carrying a toilet up the stairs. <laughs> and I'd be like literally full red, sweaty, panting, like carrying this life-size toilet from B&Q. Literally doing all the work and I was getting all of the people And I'd be like, wow. literally, please don't talk to me. <laughs> I'd send them right over to you. I was like, listen, uh, Ella over there, you want to talk to her about it? <laughs> listen, I'm tired, okay? <laughs> yeah, you're tired. You've just done a full fucking hour of pretending to be me and that's exhausting enough for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a weird way to meet, but we had a great yeah. time and we're still friends now three years later and a, and a pandemic later which is absolutely amazing I saw you last week when I finished work you came to see me it was so nice but we didn't know each other until we were already in our 20s so I actually don't know loads about your life before you turn 20 and the first question that I ask everyone that comes on this show which I don't know the answer to for you at all is do you remember what you were doing the exact moment that you turned 20 years old like what were you up to 100% I remember because I was also like I'm gonna make my own way in life and and I had all these ideas I wanted to do I was writing poetry I was starting all these things and then at the same time of all that I'd be like well I'm just gonna audition for drama school because my teacher said I should uh, a couple years ago there was one teacher who I freaking loved to this day um, and I actually like went and said thank you to her the other day and um, she kind of was like if you didn't leave because I used to work in Foot Locker so they were like she was like if you didn't leave Foot Locker I would have come and got you out myself because I was willing to just work at Foot Locker for the rest of my days while I write do my make my own path and that's when I decided yeah got my life together <laughs> I stopped Foot Locker um, I stopped working as much like every day in Foot Locker I just kept a weekend because, you know, um, unlike some of the people who are rich and go to drama school or well off and go to drama school, I uh, didn't get that. So I had to also work to fund even just being able to go. You know, some people go out all the time and buy all these lovely things for their rooms. And I'm like, listen, I'm just staying in my bare room. And, you know, you're all laughing at me with one little picture in my room. But listen, this is how I've got to live my life and um, work on the weekends and just go in. It's so important to say that it wasn't fucking easy. Like, it wasn't just like, cool, I'll just audition and there we go. Here we go. Now we've got it. Like, there's no hurdles at all. And exactly. something that I wanted to talk to you about is when you first realised that you actually wanted to act or, like, be an, be an actor as a profession, not just do it for fun. So I've always loved performing. I always, like, would write stories and never finish them. 
and uh, in English I loved like my teachers would always get me to read out you know a classic your teacher would get you to read out the stuff and I guess I was the one who enjoyed it so she'd get me up and also I, it made me concentrate and then one day I'm seeing it I'm like, seeing this <laughs> I was such like a little do you know what I mean like an ADHD kid talking too much in class etc you know and school doesn't really make it easy to when I like heard about like drama in schools I was like oh this is this is well fun so I would do like uh, I started doing like youth theatre and we had like this teacher this drama teacher who didn't care about anything and he was questionable in every single way but um, that's a different story and then we got another drama school another drama school teacher who is a teacher I referenced before and she came in and she observed us doing like a play that we kind of put together and you know because people just mess about in drama she was the one who actually inspired me to do drama at a higher level because she saw me doing this this like play that we put together and she was like I honestly thought you might be the most rudest most horrible kid to work with (laughs) because of the way you were like posturing yourself in this like play and normally kids don't she was like normally when they're acting they don't normally take it on so seriously but you were like literally like invested in this moody character and she was like but as soon as you got up you were like so miss and she was like you're the brightest happiest kid ever and she was like that's when I thought oh this kid might be an actor that's where I would like escape to like these different realities is when I was like doing that kind of that's why kid actors are so interesting I think because like they're just exploring this world and then she was like she sent me to do some auditions for stuff and she was like, you know, normally I wouldn't really take kids because they don't normally accept people sometimes from unless they do like youth theatre and stuff. And I happened to like get into each thing that she auditioned me for. And I was like... Happened to get okay. in by being really talented. <laughs> Just like accidentally <laughs> being really good at the audition. Accidentally slipped into it. I don't know how it happened. I don't know what they saw, <laughs> to be honest with you. I think they were blind. I love this, this humble response I'm living with. <laughs> And she was like, they, they, they didn't know what they were going to do yet with the casting, but they just wanted to tell me that they liked me. And then my, te- my drama teacher was really excited about it. I remember she was like, they don't normally do this stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, like, yeah, like, I don't really know what acting is because I'm like pretty sure that I want to be a musician touring. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking in my head. <laughs> like, I'm going to tour, you know, musically, because I was singing on my guitar at the time and nothing major. I was just enjoying it myself. So then my teacher was like, she was like, audition for drama school. So I did. And then all the drama schools were like, there's some, I like you, but you're a bit young. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, I auditioned for Rada, yeah, top, top drama school <laughs> for Shakespeare. I went in, did a Shakespeare piece and I went, and they were like, yeah, we love it. And um, can you do me a second one actually? And I knew that's when they test you because they probably knew, they probably had a sense I was a bit young or didn't know what I was actually doing did my second piece stumbling didn't know my life and I realized that I'd gone around every drama school saying the falsest lie about the characters because I hadn't really studied them I just knew that I had to I had a goal with my speech and I was trying to do it and I really didn't know really what what it was what I was actually but honestly doing. is it not more impressive like Loki, it's more impressive that you didn't know and you still did a good job. I think it, it actually speaks to like actually what maybe acting actually is. Maybe it's actually not really knowing what you're doing. <laughs> just imagining yourself in this place and just hoping that your choices are interesting. Because I think that sometimes even now when I'm like, I sometimes sit on the panel and I help with like drama school auditions for the drama school I went to. And actually, you can see when someone's super polished and knows exactly what they're doing, but it's too polished because then it makes it too perfect to like the people who have never had training and actually they have this wild um, side, this energy that is not trained, which is actually so interesting that makes them different and stand out. You know, you've talked a lot about the the craft and and like why it's important, and I think all of that's amazing, and it's really obvious that you care so much about the the artistry of it. But at the same time, a lot of the things that you were describing that you wanted to do before acting, poetry, being a musician, all these things, these people become famous. So <laughs> I have to ask you, 
Have you ever wanted to be famous? Do you still want to be famous? Where are we at with fame? Uh, you know what? There was a time when I was younger that I just okay. I'll admit, right? I used to. We love the confessions. We love the confessions. Okay, I'm just gonna make a confession. Everyone's gonna judge me. I don't care. This is what happened when I was younger. I would like be in my room holding, you know, whatever, like maybe a deodorant bottle. And I would like, or maybe like, I don't know, like a drink bottle. And I'd be singing into the mic, um, <laughs> that mic, which was, you know, yeah, my bottle or whatever it was in my hand. And I'd be, I'd stop in between songs, wipe my brow from all the sweat and uh, reach my hand out to the audience, the pretend audience that was in my room. <gasps> and uh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. I don't know if that answers the question, but I think um, at that point, I definitely wanted to, I think what I wanted is to be able to reach a large audience and kind of teach them things that I, I'd learned. And even at that young age, it's like I wanted to be able to be like, hi, everyone. Um, this is my thoughts and feelings. <laughs> and um about the world i'd say things like guys you know we just all need to love each other and i now i look back i'm like oh my god i was like i think and i i think it's because i've probably lacked something in my in my own childhood which made me then want to like because i also like flocked to a lot of different people and even when people would get mad at me for like hanging out with different groups at school um I would still be like no but I think everyone should hang out with each other and I don't think just because you think this person's a nerd or just because you think you're popular I, I think I'm still going to hang out with whoever I want to and so but that only came from I think my childhood and and so I kind of like always had this image of bringing people together so in that way I guess the fame if I was wanting fame was to be famous enough to be able to make a difference in the world you know, at the time, I really like, looked up to people like Michael Jackson, and um, obviously, like you know, that's controversial now. So you know, I'll skip that a little bit. But you know, I looked up to <laughs> that kind of bringing people together and making people love each other, yeah. and um, that's what I wanted from the fame. I didn't want just the the I guess what people like about it now is the clout about it. And then as I got older, I was like, oh no, fame is all about like people being like wanting you for things and yes men all around you and things like that and actually I realized I want success in my because I also while I was thinking that when I was a kid I also wanted to be the best and if being the best meant that it had to come with a lot of you know good and bad press essentially then I was like I'm willing to take it it's so weird I think the way that fame has turned into like everyone is accessible essentially so people think that they have complete access to you now if my success brings me that, then I don't mind it as long as I'm constantly, you know, focused and like focused on my craft. As long as I stay non-egomaniacal, then I'm all good. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep you, I'll keep you from that. I'll let you know when it's getting too much. Do you think that it's possible to be successful in an acting career or in an artistic career without also becoming famous? The fame comes from the projects you do. And actually, you could be fantastic and not do that many huge projects like Marvel. But then you could also be really kind of mediocre and do huge projects like Marvel. And that's where fame comes from. I think that some actors have a, a specific sparkle to them that make people, that draw people towards them. You know, people like Al Pacino and Mel Streep and um, even Gary Oldman, like, there's a sparkle about them that brings people into them. Yeah, I think that there's like different factors that play into that. But I think it is, you can be successful and not be famous. I really agree. It's a question I've been grappling with a lot because I've been, hence this podcast, trying to work on this kind of like feeling that I have that I should already be famous or that I need to be famous in order to be successful and that in the arts being a successful artist and being famous are the same thing but I actually think it's your like you're in control of the measurement and you get to decide if a project was successful rather than I mean I don't necessarily think that if I had written 
a film like a Marvel film that I would think that that was a huge success, even though it might reach the most people. But if I'd written a much smaller film that maybe had a deeper impact and reached less people, like that might be what I think about as success. So I think it, it, it genuinely varies from performer to performer. Speaking of projects, in the last three years, you have gone from obviously an incredibly high quality, but inevitably a profit share at the fringe. A profit share for anyone, anyone who doesn't know is basically it means that you don't get any money unless it makes a profit, which at the Edinburgh Fringe is very, very unlikely. But you, you know, you get your expenses paid, you get to go to the fringe, you get to perform. Yeah. And, you, and also anything, you get good you times. Know. You get good times as a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> if, you know, you're lucky enough to work with people who aren't cunts, which, yeah, you know, which I was. It's hard to, it's hard to know going on to a project. <laughs> <laughs> and now only three years later, Exactly three years later, this time three years ago, we were at the Edinburgh Fringe and the pandemic was a whisper on the wind. You are now filming for a big Netflix series, which is going into its third series. So it's, you know, it's not a new thing. It's a big Netflix show, which is incredibly exciting. And I just kind of want to ask about that trajectory, like how that feels. Is it overwhelming? Does it feel right? And also, because you've worked on such a variety of projects, what is different about those two worlds? Like going from being right on the fringe, not making any money, to working on a Netflix show? And and what is the same, ultimately, when a, a project is just a project? I'll answer the overwhelming question first. At first, it was overwhelming because of I think of the scale of it and you know people are always happy for you but when it's a show I guess of, of that level sometimes you get some people who I've never talked to in my life are <laughs> you know uh coming out coming the out the woodworks and um so I think there is there is that, that overwhelming feeling of it and also you you have to start dealing with things like social media and there is that element of social media when you're doing like when you're doing plays and stuff because even when we were at the fringe there would be people who'd be like following me and be like um i'm excited for your journey or whatever but then when you're having it at like sometimes at that magnitude you have to kind of preserve your mental health and kind of um take a break from social media i think that's what i did anyway and to be honest when i'm on a show i'd i'd feel like I tend to kind of leave social media because I need to focus on being on that show but the the things that are the same is that you'll still get people who come and see the show and you know come and tell you that they love it or you know that they want it but the difference between being on a like a theatre show and like for example Fringe is that we got results straight away so you see exactly what works what doesn't work how we can change it but with a TV show now, for example, I'm questioning all the time. <laughs> are we which take are we going to use? That's what I'm questioning every time because not every take is great. Um, although you try to make every take great, are you barging into post production? Like which take are you using? Which take? I honestly think take four, please. <laughs> In fact, the four before we wrap, I'm just going to be like, I just feel like um. <laughs> I was great at the beginning of the scene. I got kind of tired as we went on, but <laughs> I was joking. But um, yeah, there's a, there's a difference where you've got to kind of wait to see the reactions of people. Um, if you were, you know, and I'm quite a harsh self-critic, so I need to see, I kind of want to see what, like where I could be better. Because also, it's also about the editing. So if, for example, with theatre, it's live. No one can ever see that again with tv they can rewind that shit and see you fuck up three times four times six times they can see you mess mess up your line they can see that you didn't if you if you weren't in it at that time and especially if they decide to use a close-up where you're just like you're, you're tired now um that can be that can be the hard thing so you've got to trust you've got to trust the editing team you've got to trust the entire team really um but there is still that beautiful grand scale element of being able to work collaborate with people who are who all know what they're doing and who you're kind of trusting to take you through this process which I had in the fringe and I have it in the show as well like you just have this network of people that you kind of build a connection with there is elements though like for example in this show 
there's a you kind of separated sometimes because you're in you're in makeup chair or you're doing this or you're doing that obviously with the theater pieces you're kind of together all the time especially fringe you're together all the time yeah you live together you share rooms you can't you can't repeat that shit with even friends because you're not with friends 24 7 like that like there's a bond and a closeness that you build at the fringe that's literally something I, i don't think i've ever experienced again except for when I did a, a play with the RSC so it was like there's something so beautiful about it and also so chaotic because there's things that last minute you've got to get right and the differences of you know as well with like film tv and theatre is that you have live audiences uh, which is such a beautiful beautiful thing and that's why I, I still love theatre to like I yeah I want I want to be able to do a play between film tv whatever I do because it's so there's something so special about it and even like the tiredness you feel it's a different tiredness than I feel when I finish on set but yeah because on set you're just they're kind of just trusting that you know the work and you're doing the work you know whereas theatre is more kind of I see it as like a linear thing yeah theatre is like a cycle over and over like theatre there's you're so right there's something so magical like I, I haven't worked on TV but I imagine with TV you're trying to breathe life into something and with theatre you've got loads of new life in the form of a new audience who know nothing about the story coming in every day and they're breathing life into the show like you have fresh life coming in every day and exactly what you said like we would walk home from the show every day and dissect what had happened and what could go differently and and how we felt about it and it was like and we get to go again tomorrow like we get an opportunity again and and those people tomorrow don't know anything about today and they won't know anything about the day after like for every single person that comes in it's a once in a lifetime viewing and no one will see that version of the show again like that is so crazily magical and and it's exciting but also it does allow when you massively fuck up to go oh well no one else is ever going to see that where's where's a pint let's go again tomorrow and i'll say exactly it right. exactly no there's no there's no bloopers you just have to just <laughs> You just have to go. Yeah, just got to hope that no press is in, you oh, know. Oh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That Okay, that is, that is, uh, that's the most pressure I think an actor feels on stage. Is the press, oh my gosh. Everyone behind behind the set is already like, press is in, press is in, press. <laughs> we have to look, the makeup has to be the best today. Your costume has to be the best today. Your acting has to be the best today. But I think it should be the best every day because I think if you're, these audiences have never seen you before and, I don't think, even though some people think, oh, audiences will take anything, I think they really appreciate when you give them your all. And I know they do because as an audience member, even like I went to see a madhouse um, at the Ambassador. Someone treated me to a ticket, a really lovely uh, tutor friend of mine. And it was such a phenomenal, and it was 2.30, 2, 2.30, and the play is like two hours long. They got to do it again that day. And some actors might go, you know, the matinee, we don't need to worry about the matinee. But you can see that those actors said, nah. Maybe because they also felt pressure because they're also TV screen actors. So they don't want to be like, you know, we were lazy on this day and they've got like all of this press coming in all the time, I guess. And people, fans coming to see them. They don't want to let them down. But I think we should always, even if you don't have fans coming in and you have just random people, you should always be on for those people because they've never seen it before. That's your job. That's literally your job. That's your only thing that you have to do. You don't have to go and sit at the desk then. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you can literally just do your job for yeah, like the yeah, 30 yeah. days or whatever. It's not extracurricular. It's not. Just like, just do it. And, and actually, it's like a workout as well. There's so much reward from having given your full heart. And then it makes other people discover new things and live on that stage. And you could see that they were doing that. And it's phenomenal to watch, really. I loved how you were talking about um, the kind of bonds that you've made doing projects. And I only realised recently coming out of the pandemic because I haven't, since we made that show, I've been working regular sort of like theatre admin jobs. And I've only recently realised how much I've missed doing creative projects and meeting people in that way and forming those very intense bonds. Because let me tell you, when you're all head down at the Excel sheet in the office, it's not the same <laughs> as when you're living together, sharing a bedroom at the fringe for a month, you know what I mean? And I wanted to ask you about how your relationships have changed in your 20s. And that can be 
work relationships, friendships, romantic relationships? Like what what has changed since you got into this decade of your I life? am more comfortable in myself and my boundaries and I think when you're younger, when you're in your early part of your twenties, you're kind of just like, Yeah, it's all about like getting drunk and enjoying and you know, we're doing this thing and it's crazy that we get to do this thing. But I think as you get older, like we you just have you have first of all you have less time with people because they're off doing stuff, they're doing their jobs, you know. And then when you come together you have more, you know, kind of just enjoyable chats and, and catch ups and I guess I'm quite now more reserved of my energy because I need to use it for other things. Are your relationships at work a lot more professional? Like, do you find that you make less friendships on projects because you are working with actors who are more famous and therefore probably a bit more closed off to, like, that level of intimacy? Uh, I think with, with the older actors, yeah. Older actors, it can be a bit harder to kind of break through that barrier of, like, professionalism because also, you know, they're also, like, older and that sometimes you might not relate to them in that way. But there is still that beautiful element of actually after a long time, after a while, at the end of it, they almost melt away and like it was so lovely, you know, to whatever. And you exchange, you know, goodbyes and actually, you know, you have a a last drink of them and you're like, yeah, I love I liked working with you, man. Or I loved working with you, man. And, um, you know, sometimes you go on to see what they're doing next and you kind of, you know, like I met uh, an older actor who happens to have the same birthday as me. I saw him in a play that he was in and, uh, you know, like, he was, like, um, pushing, like, 60. But he had such a beautiful spirit that, you know, I was like, well, I, I want to see what he's in. And I want to, even though we might not have a close friendship, I'm interested in what he's doing. Yeah, beautiful spirit. So I ha- we have a beautiful connection in that way. But I guess with the younger actors, it's more of, like, you'd probably have a less professional with them. I mean, I feel like that's with all younger actors across the board. <laughs> I don't know if anyone like disagrees with that, but I think mm-hmm. all young professionals across the board, there's less of a... I guess because you're kind of the same age, you're kind of having the same experiences in love and life and in, in your professional life. So there's like more of a opportunity to break down those professional barriers and kind of, you know, you you might speak deeper about things or you might get drunk together or other things together you just never and realistically I imagine that these boundaries come from learning from mistakes I don't think boundaries are an innate thing that we like see that we need we sense automatically that we should have a boundary there you probably don't have a boundary something goes wrong and then you go fuck, I probably need to put a boundary in there. So all these older actors have been through the same journey and probably just over time learned what boundaries they need to put in from making the mistake of not Yeah, also, like, they also... Some of these older actors as well, because they, I mean, having conversations with a couple people, they had a much different experience. Like, they... Some of them believe that we're actually too soft. You know, they, they talk about... They talk about essentially doing top top tier theatre with nothing almost what you would do at the fringe like with no 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 like actual money like they're sleeping in certain conditions and nobody kind of moans about it because it's it's accepted that theatre as a whole is kind of you live and breathe it's almost claustrophobic almost and then you put on this amazing show and people get happy and that's kind of what you you and that's the end of your of your thing of your run but the younger actors are actually now questioning things like actually you know what like we didn't eat today or we're working long hours or this and this <laughs> like where old actors will be like oh, stop moaning we that's where you kind of get disparities of younger actors going actually no there's also it's also behind the scenes as well like sometimes your agent is, is more likely to more willing to fight for you in that way than the older person's agent might and they might have always accepted those things and then i mean i've had literally like um, people say that you know um, agents in the industry just be like you know sometimes people don't tell you that that they're having a bad time they just don't and especially older actors they just come finish they finish the job and they go it was actually terrible but you know on to the next one and so that actually I think that leaves a lot of room for 
no change and also a bitterness to grow inside of you to do the arts. Only now recently have they, you know, especially bigger theatres, started to offer like mental health uh, services for, for actors, which I think is a is an important thing. But for example, an older actor might say, oh, you know, back in the day, we might not have had, we didn't have mental health checkups. You just did the job and you go on. So it's just quite interesting now, but obviously we have the internet and things like that. And yeah, it's a whole discussion that I think needs to be, could could potentially be necessary to have with older actors and younger actors. Or we just let older actors do what they do and let the younger actors do what they do and then eventually it balances out, I guess. Yeah, I know, I, absolutely. I, I think that both in making theatre but also in the sort of back of house roles, like the people who are running the organisations, there's such an attitude of like, you are so lucky to have this job. 10 people who wouldn't complain would love, would love to do your job today. They would show up today and do it for you if we like clicked our fingers. So you're so lucky to be here, you better not complain about it, right? And that totally stagnates any possibility for change or for people to ask for their needs to be met. And I was gonna ask you as a question, your favorite and your least favorite thing about the industry, like the industry that we're in. But I think what I would rather ask you is what do you want, like most want to change about the industry or what do you think most needs to change next? I think the treatment in theater needs to be changed. How people are treated in theater in that all across the board from top to bottom. I think there still needs to be humanity to you know, working with actors and with and even with the all the people backstage who make it happen, there needs to be humanity to it. Like because although we breathe this life into like this beautiful piece of art, it is very grueling and very taxing on the body and it can make people wanna take breaks from it, like longer breaks, which means then higher pay needs to be given because otherwise if you're doing theatre and you're only getting, you know, what is it, two maybe like two grand a month if you're lucky. If you're, and that's if you're not, if you don't have like, like a star power, maybe star people get more, you know, I'm sure they get paid more and treated better. But when, when you're not, when you don't have that star power and you're going and you're literally, that's your job and you're paying day to day and you're paying your rent. It's almost like sometimes they feed off of people knowing that people love to do this job. They feed off almost treating people worse than you would get treated in another job where you could actually just literally say you know what I'd like to call HR on this <laughs> like you can't do that in theatre so it's like they say you know yeah exactly like you're saying they say they love you love to be here and you want to be here we could get someone else if you don't so you know do the job or whatever there needs to be like somebody kind of surveying the entire process I think that's why so many people want to jump into film or be famous because or jump into TV and be famous because fame with fa- with fame comes treatment like good treatment in this industry. Mm. You were telling me the other day about um, like how many black women you know whose hair has just been absolutely oh, destroyed yeah. by. I mean that's being all part the of the behind the scenes. That's all part of the treatment, really, because especially in theatre, there is a almost like a lack of responsibility to looking after black Afro hair almost to looking after most hair really you know if they need it to be like a specific way I mean in the entire industry across the board but with with bigger things bigger projects you can actually request that somebody comes in to deal with your hair because this is actually a problem now but with theatre for example I've got a friend who's literally having to do her own hair every day and putting on stuff on it it's dry every day it's like she has to wash it more times and um you know, and she's got mixed race hair and they've probably like been like, this is even better to cast someone who's mixed race, who has mixed race hair. So it's less work for them because if then I was to turn around and say, for example, if they cast me and I was like, actually, you know what? I need this and this for my hair. Um, and because I'm on the show, you need to now pay for this. They go too much money, too much work. Now we need a black hairdresser to come survey. This is happening. No. And sometimes they bring in one black hairdresser to come in and survey the entire cast 
of whatever you may have, 10 people, whatever, and you almost feel like the odd, the oddball, which is why I also think that at one point I used to think, wow, there's a lot of people with shaved heads, black women with shaved heads, <laughs> just super famous and only the same kind of people in film and TV and theatre. And then I realised, oh my gosh, it's the same reason why there's more black men cast. It's because they don't have to look after the hair. And that is almost easier for them. And it's probably, they also, they also probably think the same thing about about um, people with fine hair, you know, people uh, of a lighter, lighter ethnicity or white people, they might think the same thing about the hair. They go, it's easy to just, you can, we can just tell you to do a style or we'll just bring someone in to curl your hair or straighten your hair constantly, damage your hair, never tell you you've damaged it, you move on to the next job. And actually speaking to a hairdresser, they were like, yeah, it is, it, they shouldn't be doing that, but they don't, they almost don't care enough to look after their hair because you, you're just this, almost like this puppet to them and you've just got to go and perform. Yeah. And it's the clout of like, on stage, we want to look like we're casting more black women because it's important and that's what people are asking us to do. But we're not going to actually think about what it takes to look after those people because exactly what you just said, it's about the appearance on stage, it's not about the care backstage. Exactly. It's all about the appearance. It's all about what does it look like? And uh, it looks great, but behind stage is chaos and people are upset and people are you know, not happy with their hair. Working backstage in theatre, I would definitely say that's because there's there's no applause for diversifying your back of house and not having a diverse back of house team leads to people not understanding that what needs to be built in. Mm, they don't get the, the praise and recognition they think they should get um, when actually they should just do it in the first place because that's the only way. <laughs> that's the only way you can have, you know, or or literally just already have people who can do all of hair. <laughs> you know that in Lion King, they have somebody to look after every single part of their hair, like every single individual's hair to make sure that that's whether they're white, black, um, of any other ethnicity. They look after their hair and they make sure they make sure that they are um, not damaging it, you know, and actually looking after it. So it's not that hard. I mean, I know that Lion King is also probably maybe they've got more, and that might also be to do they've got more recognition with just their play, but it's been going on for years and they don't have any, they really don't have any um, push to make it like that, but they have because they've gone, you know, we've, we've, we're going on for years and, you know, we've literally got a mainly Afro, uh, Afro hair cast. Let's make it easier for ourselves. Let's just bring people of every ethnicity to be able to do everybody's hair and they'll literally go and be like, your hair cannot take too much... Um, um, straightening because it's got a bit of breakage your hair needs a bit you know this you, your hair needs they literally go through that and everyone can do that everyone can yeah like it can it be can done be. it literally can be done um in your career like in your 20s in your life do you feel like you have a plan um yeah I think so I think I don't I don't I think now I have a plan I think I didn't have I thought I had a plan before but now I have a plan but then again you know what I also think that plans are up in the air really like they can really absolutely change at any given moment one minute you're going I'm gonna have kids at 30 am I gonna have kids at 30 I don't know I, I might you know what? I might just be crazy and be like actually I'm just gonna have a kid by myself or I might not even be in a relationship where I think oh I can have a kid or Every 20-something-year-old is like, if I buy my own house, then, like, or if I buy my own place, then, like, I'm sorted. <laughs> but maybe not, you know? <laughs> maybe you just buy your own place. Who knows what they're going to do next? You know? <laughs> Who knows what they're going to do next? We don't, we don't know. know. We could be sitting in the middle of... No owning a house on a dead Ex planet. Exactly. I literally, literally was going to say, honestly, you could literally be sitting in the middle of your living room while the world is falling apart around you. So, realistically... Sometimes we just need to live our lives and actually live it without, because there's already all these stresses to worry about all the time. Like sometimes we just need to live. We can have a plan, loosely kind of follow it. I think if we force ourselves to stick to a plan, then we don't have that ability to even change and kind of mold of it. 
like I, I've been thinking a lot that I want to move to Berlin next year and I've wanted to move to Berlin for about 10 years at some point I used to say before I was 25 but a global pandemic happened so allow but I've been thinking about this and thinking about this and then actually what I want more than anything is to try to work as a creative and then I was looking into visas for Berlin post Brexit and it entails getting quite a hard job that wouldn't be creative and then I was thinking but should I still go I, but, but but Berlin's the dream Berlin's the dream but actually if you're always planning the next thing it, it makes it by force and it's actually not by force that I have to go to Berlin next year no one is making me and by being in the moment and not thinking too much about the plan and how to make the plan work opportunities might arise like I've never done it before I'm trying out for the first time as of about a week ago so I'll see how it goes but I'm hoping by not having a plan I'll be able to see the actual opportunities around me instead of just ignoring them because I already know the Mm -hmm. next step right honestly I am a strong believer in that it's about the the balance about it about it all you know I mean The, the balance of all everything juggling being in the present moment and then also having the next plan of action and it's like having a loose kind of guide of yeah this is where I want to end up I could end up there but also something could change it um and alter my frame of mind you might meet someone that actually then you can't move do you know what I mean so it's like okay well fine yeah and you might be grateful for that you were telling me the other day that you hadn't got a project that you'd nearly got tied up in and if you had been doing that, you would still be tied up in that contract and that you thought that the actual end product was Absolutely shit. Terrible. And I guess with acting and planning acting, you <laughs> must almost in a way, it must be stressful because you're freelance. So you're always thinking about what's the next gig, what's the next bit of income. Figuring out what I want to do in this time. It's really hard, actually, because thinking about that, even when I was younger, I was even thinking... I want to do this, I want to do a specific film, I want to do a specific, you know, when I was younger, I used to want to be part of CSI, that was my goal, <laughs> that was my plan, I said, I'm going to go to uni, I'm going to be part of CSI, and I was like, oh, you know, I'll just act in CSI, as I got older, I realised I do not care about being in CSI, <laughs> I have no care to be in CSI, I think I cared about the element of being in this show that was all encompassing and like you know learning new things that I'd never known before but you know I grew out of that phase of like being like oh you know I was even like at one point I was like how cool would it be to be in something like Desperate Housewives I don't care about that actually what what ignites my soul is like projects that are like so surreal and so like kind of fantasy-esque and if I'd had if I'd followed my plan of being in CSI I would have been very unhappy. So from then on, I realized, you know, what? actually, I'm just going to, I'm going to have a plan and have a thing, like have a thought. And if I follow, if I keep following that thought, if I keep coming back to it, then, okay, it's meant to be. But, but if not, it's also okay, because it just brings me into a completely different space and allows me to be open to all these opportunities that if I'm, if I'm really listening, I can actually pick the right one. And it can be hard as a freelance because you're going, I just hope they pick me. I just hope they pick me so I can say no. (laughs) Or so that I can say yes, you know. We are lucky to get whatever work we get. But sometimes it's for the best when you don't get it. My plan is just to work super hard and, and do as much as I can in my power. And I can plan my life, but that might not happen like that. Um, and I've, I've just got to accept that that might not happen like that and be okay with it. I have one last question for you. In your 20s, a lot of people say you're kind of supposed to become yourself. So do you feel currently right now like yourself? When I'm alone. <laughs> when I'm alone, I feel myself the most. I think there's a lot of pressure when you're in your 20s to also do that and be with somebody and you accidentally fall into relationships, for example, and then you have to be yourself with another person, which then I think almost sometimes stunts or sometimes depends on the type of person you are, but I think that can either stunt or grow you as a person. Because if you haven't had the time to fully develop as you as a human, 
then that person will stunt your growth because they'll change things about you or they'll say, I'm not happy with this or I am happy with this about you. And then you'll kind of gravitate more towards that thing. I think you grow more when you're on your own and in your own private space, even when you're working super hard. Take that time to go, actually, I need to be by myself because it's in those times where you go, oh, I actually like this thing or I like this fetish or I like this this type of food or I like to take myself to this area or for example, I like to do this on my own. If you like to do something on your own and you find out, because some people like to do things with people all the time and that's a problem because they've never had that alone time or they're clearly missing something or, or they need some kind of, like they need to talk to somebody. I don't think that anyone knows completely who they are because you're always evolving. Like I've literally seen my brother go from one type of person to another type of person to another type of person to another type of person, all before he's even 21. And it can happen in one year, it can happen in six months, it can happen from books you read, it can happen from things you watch, it can happen from being around certain people. You could literally travel when you're 30 and go, actually, wow, I've discovered actually what I really want and who I really am. So actually, I don't think you need to find yourself when you're 20, when you're 20, in your 20s. Don't give yourself that what is it like a, a cage a barrier of like being like okay when I'm when I'm when I'm 20 I'll, fi- I'll, I'll begin my journey to finding myself and then like in halfway through I'll almost find myself and then I'll, I'll like become successful when I'm 28 and then I'll do this nah man like find yourself whenever you want <laughs> when you've got a moment to spare honestly, honestly like stop giving yourself you're literally going to school for so much of your life which is even a problem in itself because you're you're not finding yourself in that time you're you're, you're being that's why people think they have to find themselves after then it's because they literally are, are being told what to do constantly and then they're not and then experiencing people all the time every day and that's why people actually feel their best when after their 30s i've heard because people go you know what in my 30s i realized <laughs> i don't want to talk to any of you <laughs> honestly I'm so ready for my 30s, man. The podcast I make about being in your 30s is just going to be me fucking applauding myself, applauding everyone else. It's going to go Absolutely. Like, I'm so ready. I love that answer. And thank you so much for coming on. Like, it's been so great listening to all your thoughts, especially about the industry. Thank um, you for having me. I'm going to stop recording Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.